0: If you wish to attract higher levels of good health, personal and interpersonal relationships and a deeper connection with spirit, you've tuned in at the right time and to the right place. This is Awakened Hearts with Rebecca and Boyd Campbell. In our program, we'll provide intuitive readings, insight and guidance to help you connect with spirit and experience more from life. Now, here are your hosts, Rebecca and Boyd
1: Campbell. Welcome, everyone. We are thrilled that you have joined us here today. We are your hosts, Rebecca Campbell
2: and Boyd Campbell,
1: and you are listening to Awakened Hearts on the 7th Wave channel of Voice America Talk Radio. You can contact us by email, hello at sundrahealing.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, connect with us on LinkedIn, add us on Google+, and of course, visit our website, sundrahealing.com. We have Dr. Stan Tatkin with us today, and Dr. Tatkin is a couples therapist known for his pioneering work in helping partners to form happy, secure, and long-lasting relationships. His method, called PACT, which stands for Psychobiological Approach to Couple Therapy, draws on principles of neuroscience and teaches partners to become what he terms secure functioning. Welcome to the show, Dr. Tatkin.
3: Hi there, Rebecca. Hi, Boyd. Hi. Hi.
1: May we call you Stan for the show today? Of course. Wonderful. We're delighted to have you on. We've been looking, uh, reading your books, and very interested in the work that you do. Uh, We have lots of questions for you. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I guess what I'd like to first touch on is... This secure functioning relationship that you talk a lot about, and you've actually developed the Ten Commandments for a secure functioning relationship. Oh, that Can sounds you...
3: very grandiose. <laughs> <laughs> no, just to clear that, I, I I wrote on deadline the Ten Commandments for a book by Jeffrey Zai called "The Ten Commandments of Relationship." This was uh, these were relationship experts all contributing to that book. So yes, I did write my version of the Ten Commandments. That's true.
1: Oh. Okay, so can you tell us what is a secure functioning
3: relationship? Secure functioning relationship between two people, but two or more people actually, uh, is one that is based on mutuality, collaboration, uh, uh, fairness, justice, and sensitivity. Think of it as being in the foxhole together or being in a couple bubble. Basically, these are two people that have each other's backs that know each other, like as if they had each other's owner's manual. They protect each other in public and private. In other words, they are the top of the food chain, the roof of the house. They are the big honchos. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and uh, and they are absolutely, truly mutual in the way that they function.
1: Mm, okay.
3: So
2: what about rituals? Um you say they are pretty. They are very significant. Can you give us some uh, some some uh, examples of rituals that couples might do, and explain why
3: they're significant in a relationship? Well, I think you're referring to landings and launchings. Here, we're talking about uh, the ritual of putting each other to bed, and the reason for this is that we know that. Children and adults, really, uh, are most vulnerable in the evening time, at night time, just before going to bed and also upon waking in the morning. And if couples really don't have much time during the week, which a lot of couples don't, they should be sectioning off time just before sleep, just before bedtime, that they spend that time together in a low or no demand, uh, you know, situation. They could pray at night. They could tickle each other's backs. They could, uh, they could talk, pillow talk, lost art. They could, uh, you know, read to each other. Um, there are so many things that people could do. But the, there's a reason why we why we midwife the sleeping process with babies and with children is because it's a time of separation when we're going to separate from those we love and those we depend on. Now, a lot of adults either didn't get put to bed very well, there was no ritual, or they did, but they dismiss this idea as not being that important. So what we suggest is just try it for a week or even a few days, put each other to bed uh, in some way without... You know, focusing on a third thing like a television program, and do something in the morning to uh, to launch each other. And again, these take only minutes, and then see what happens. See what see what your nighttime, your sleep is like. See what your day is like.
1: Hmm. I was just going to ask you about the television. You mentioned it there. Many many couples go to sleep watching the TV in the bedroom.
3: Yes. Yes. And, you know, there's a difference between something we call parallel play, which is you and I are watching something or doing something in in a parallel manner. We're not using that third thing to share. We're not using that third thing to excite each other or to cause each other to talk. Right. That's a problem. But if people are watching something like Dancing with the Stars and they're, you know, they're interrupting the show as they talk to each other about what they're seeing, that is Still fine. We call it. We call that joint attention, joint play, and that's fine. So, the way that people sometimes go to bed, even reading books, they do it in such a parallel way that if they do that too much, it can lead to a feeling of loneliness.
1: Mm. Hmm. So that's what you were saying when to read a book together, one would read to the other. Yeah,
3: or listen to uh, listen to a book on tape together. But reading to mm. each other is nice. It's
2: one of my favorite ways of going to sleep. Rebecca reads reads to me at night and yeah, it's very nice. Oh yeah. Yeah, We
1: we enjoy that and it's nice to be able to talk about the book that you're reading together.
3: Yes. Like you say,
1: it creates that common ground
3: probably better if it's not a like a Riling book you know book about no <laughs> or, or politics but
1: yeah <laughs> right now we're reading about sacred geometry so it's pretty fascinating and it it definitely speaks to both of us
3: yeah, okay sure. that sounds amazing <laughs> yeah, sacred geometry I have to know more about that
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty interesting so we've got we've got the term uh coming to mind here fighting well yeah. so you have chapter in your book Wired for Love that is devoted to how to have a good fight. So can you first explain why fighting having a good fight is something that would be important for couples and then how maybe we can do that?
3: We worry about couples that don't don't have any conflict or claim they don't have any conflict. Um, Many times these individuals... Uh, are conflict, what we call conflict avoidant. In other words, they come from a background where uh, conflict meant the end of things. Conflict meant meant getting into trouble you can't get out of. Um, And so they avoid. And this uh, actually turns out to be quite unhealthy for people. Uh, People who are conflict avoidant are uh, exposed in their love relationships, are exposed to Uh, something called allostatic load, uh, a a, a measure of stress and an adaptation to stress that begins to cause wear and tear on the body and the mind and the brain. So couples that fight well are, are those who are unafraid. They're unafraid that the relationship will break. In other words, they've already made it crystal clear, and this is part of secure functioning, that the relationship can tolerate them. It can tolerate a fight. It's not going to break. No one's going to go anywhere. And that right away makes fighting safer. But then they also understand how to fight and remain friendly remain friendly at key times, because it's very easy for our brains to misinterpret even conflict coming from a loved one as uh, friendly, and we may see it as predatory. In fact, that's the tendency of the human brain. The brain tends to go negative uh, naturally. And so when we start to feel excited in a way that feels threatening... And I mean small t-threat here, where the look of a face, the raise of a chin, the the tone of voice, the pointing of a finger, all of these things tend to to, uh, amplify each other very, very quickly, and and things quickly spin out of control, and neither partner knows what to do about it. So fighting well is basically remaining on a play mat so that the fighting does contain some ama- some manner of play and flexibility. And both partners are responsible for keeping it friendly enough so that neither feels overly threatened and it doesn't spin into war. And what it would look like is that um, if I were fighting with you, Boyd, um, I would have to take care of my own interests and take care of your interests at the same time. So let me say that again. The only way that mm. I would ever get what I want, the only way that I would get you to hear me, the only way that we could efficiently get through anything is that I have to keep you in mind as I take my stand. And you would have to do the same thing. This is the, this is the safest way to make sure that neither of us mistake each other for a predator. So
2: that's fine. You need to be. You would need to be very, very present, I think, with what you're doing to, to maintain that awareness. Yes. Uh, the emotions, I, I'm just thinking that like emotions would really get involved there. And um, it's always about me and I. When I'm getting hurt, it's all about
3: I. So always.
2: Yeah,
3: well, here's the thing: where you know, as human beings, we're ninety nine percent automatic. Our day is ninety nine percent automatic, which means that we're we're operating our day through memory, by uh, via memory, because the expensive parts of our brain can't possibly be engaged uh, very long without burning up. So. Is most of our experience, including our partner, has been automated into something called procedural memory. Now, that's really cool because it makes our relationships feel easier, but that's when we make a lot of mistakes because we are um, we are making errors in perception, memory, and communication all the time. As we feel distressed, that misappraisal rate, uh, the, the error rate goes sky high, mm-hmm. and we can just spin out very quickly. So, you're quite right. Uh, This has to do with not being on the phone, certainly not driving in the car, but being face-to-face, eye-to-eye. We're visual animals. We need to be directly across from each other and pay attention to each other's faces and voices. We're responsible for this ship, the ship that is the relationship. And if it runs into the rocks, better luck next time. That's both of our fault.
1: (laughs) Mm. I I love the ship analogy. That's perfect.
3: Yeah, for sure. And so it is possible. It's done. We see people all over the world uh, being able to do secure functioning. It's not a, it's not a unicorn. Uh, it's based on reality. The reality is that we have each other and we make agreements to do things for each other that nobody else would ever want to do unless you paid them a lot of money. That's the quid pro quo. <laughs> and we depend on each other to survive the environment, to survive elements out there. And so that is our... That is our principle for getting through life, not just surviving, but thriving, is that we have each other's backs, we're on the same team, and we learn to work cooperatively and collaboratively with each other.
2: Mm. That sounds amazing.
3: (laughs) It actually has to happen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, is no, there is no other way. The couple is the smallest unit of a society. So it operates by rules of social, social justice. If, that, if those rules are unfair, uh, unjust, then that spreads out to the kids, it spreads out to the community, it spreads upward to extended family. It's almost so, like a virus. Well, it, it is. I mean, it's influence is what it is, cultural right. influence. You know, we all come from a culture um, where we adapt to that culture and the rules. Of that culture and if that culture is such that relationships don't come first as a primary value then we are going to take that forward into our adult relationships and behave in a way that is too unfair too unjust and too insensitive
2: nice mm. so why is it important for long term and for and for new couples alike to understand
3: um, that dating is actually forever <laughs> Well, you have to be girlfriend and boyfriend or boyfriend and boyfriend and girlfriend and girlfriend, depending on your arrangement. You have to have that, that sort of assigned, uh, you know, um, uh, status, even as you move into another, another role, husband and wife, mother, father. If you're not remaining girlfriend and boyfriend, which is the engine that runs this whole thing, then the relationship is likely going to go the way of boredom, strangeness. Separate, uh, going in separate directions, and so on, it'll lose its vitality. So, the dating part really is not so much that. Is you're still responsible for creating exciting love, quiet love, and to be able to manage distress quickly and efficiently together. And those are the couples that actually do very well in the long run. Mm.
1: So, could you give us some examples of what types of things couples could do to cr- keep this dating creation going between them?
3: Absolutely. Uh, the thing that Boyd mentioned is the antidote to the automatic brain. So, let me just back up a second. So, Rebecca, I meet you, and you're exciting. I'm exciting, hopefully, and uh, and we can't get enough of each other. I'm paying absolute attention to you. I want to know everything about you. All this is, is going on. And then I automate you. This is going to happen. It's, an, it's part of nature. And uh, now I think I know everything about you. You think you know everything about me. We stop paying attention. We stop being fully present. And guess what? The feeling of love begins to wane. So love is, uh, is brought about through the eyes, uh, you know, love is up close, lust is at a distance. We fall in love through the eyes with each other, with our babies, even with our animals. <laughs> and if we don't gaze, if we don't spend some time gazing into each other's eyes, and spending time in each other's eyes, we will not generate this thing called quiet or exciting love. But you can only do that for so long, right? Because, okay, enough of gazing, right? Uh, let's do something <laughs> else. So that is where joint attention comes in. We enjoy our baby. And as we look at our baby or our puppy, we turn to each other and we might be moved to say, God, I love you. This is so wonderful. I'm so happy that I'm with uh, uh, the person that I've wanted to be with my whole life. Okay, um, th- these we, u- we actually use third things, whether it's the Grand Canyon or the Taj Mahal or the the redecoration of our bedroom, whatever it is that becomes novel and exciting, we use to bring into our relationship and amplify it. Uh, and that is, we either see that in childhood with our parents doing that, or we never see that. Sadly, there are people who go on the most romantic trip in the world, and did you look at each other? Did you hold hands? Did you gaze at each other's eyes? Did you get excited together? And no, no, we, we looked at it, we saw, that's a beautiful river, that's really nice. We talked a little bit about it. They didn't use it. Um, and that's a second way. A third way is I get excited. Let's say just, uh, you know, I, I, my computer did something I never expected it to do. Oh, my God, it's a magic trick. And Rebecca or Boyd, I say, come over here and look at what my computer did. Okay, that's fun for me, not so much fun for you. Okay, you're going to get tired of coming to look at every time my computer does something great. But I can take that excitement and and uh, and shift it into something usable. For you, and we can amplify it. I get excited about something that my computer does, and I say, Boyd, I'm just so happy that I'm with you. Um, come here, I want to give you a hug, or whatever it is. So, in other words, I'm using this other thing that's a personal excitement, and I throw it to my partner, and this is now mutually amplified positive excitement. Nice.
1: Mm. Speaking about dating, we have <laughs> a lot of listeners who would be single so here's a question sure in in your wired for dating book you basically debunk a number of common relationship myths right can you go can you go over a few of those with us and explain why they are myths
3: Well, unfortunately, we have so many messages in our culture, you know, held over from the time. And still, I think people think this way, self-made person, you don't need anybody else, take care of yourself before you can take care of anybody else. You have to know yourself before you can know another person. And you have to love yourself before you can love anybody. And this is uh, actually a lot of bull. Um, It does not hold up in any way to anything we know about how the brain works, how attachment works, how we fall in love and how we learn about ourselves. We actually don't do anything well by ourselves. Everything we do that has anything to do with social-emotional functioning has to happen with another person. And much of the time, it happens from the outside in before it happens from the inside out. So how do I learn to love myself? By loving you well, by feeling loved. It's a it's an ongoing process that's reciprocal, and it continually molds and shapes my sense of self. I am who I am as I look at you, and I see your eyes looking back at me. Now, people might argue that shouldn't be that way but it is that way i learn about myself by knowing you very well and being with you helps me also understand how i think i can't possibly know many things about myself by myself the things i know are are formed through interactions are formed through my relationships so this business of do it yourself is driving people into an area that is a little uh, scary for those of us who study this area, uh, because we know that people who do not interact, who do not rely and depend or interdepend with others are more vulnerable to madness, actually, to mental illness and to physical illness. We are not built for that. So we're trying to give the opposite message, which we feel is, is research sound, and that is you do this with a person. You're hurt by someone, you're healed by someone. How do you learn to be in a relationship? By being in one. Not in a book, not in a cave, not through meditation. It's through interaction. And it has to be because there is, in fact, nothing more difficult than another person. Mm. (laughs) Right? (laughs) 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 No one's ever been able to say what's more difficult than another person. <laughs> uh,
1: what about finding my soulmate? That's one, you know, people feel they have <laughs> yeah. to find their soulmate, right?
3: Yeah, you know, you know, it, uh, it, it's when you hear things that are so silly and so generalized, you have to wonder how are they using that phrase, okay? So if your soulmate is is mate um then okay think of the billions of people on the planet why even try to date i mean the odds are you know you, you'll never meet them in many lifetimes okay so if that's your soulmate but if you have soulmates how many are there and what does it even mean well we know that when people Pair bond. And when I say pair bond, I'm talking about committed relationship, not just one night stands or sexual fling. But we decide we're going to do this thing and we're going to be exclusive in some manner. In other words, we start to depend on each other. That brings up a whole menu of memory uh, that comes from the earliest relationships of depending on another person. Okay. But I pick you not because you're a stranger. I picked you because I recognize you. We pair bond based on recognition and familiarity. Familial and familiarity. We don't pair bond with strangers. Therefore, you and I are more alike in in very profound ways than we're not alike. Now, if that is my soulmate, yes. But that that is something that I find because my brain recognizes this person and they're they're stranger enough to be interesting but they're they're familiar enough for me not to feel like i'm too far away from home therefore i could feel that they're my soulmate so it depends on how people are are (laughs) are using this a lot of people can use this as a way to stay out of a relationship right right Mm -hmm. or to get out of a relationship oh you're just not my soulmate whatever that is Yeah.
1: yeah yeah that's that's very well said We are going to take this opportunity to go to a break. So we will see everybody on the other side of two minutes.
0: This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Rebecca and Boyd have combined their years of experience and their twin flame connection to create powerful, transformational journeys through their classes, workshops, special events, and retreats. Join Rebecca and Boyd on your journey to deepen your connection with spirit and access divine intelligence. This allows healing, creates miracles, and manifests a life of joy and abundance in alignment with your highest good. Visit the classes page of SunderHealing.com and register today. Rebecca and Boyd have combined their years of experience to create a powerful and effective modality of healing. Each session is unique, tailored to your individual needs, and can be done in person or from any distance. Are you searching for your purpose, soul path, soulmate, or healing for mind, body, and spirit? Are you seeking relief from anxiety, depression, chronic illness, fatigue, or codependency? Book a healing session or receive a free email consultation today. Visit the services page at SunderHealing.com. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to Awakened Hearts. To call in and connect to Rebecca and Boyd Campbell on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to hello at sundrahealing.com.
1: Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. We have been talking about relationships and we have Dr. Stan Tatkin with us today talking about secure functioning relationships and really the principles of neuroscience and how that relates. So, Dr. Tatkin, we were just speaking in the break and... You had asked Boyd and I a question, and we thought we would share this with the listeners.
3: Yeah, you told me I could take over the show and interview you. I <laughs> that was so great. I've, al- <laughs> I've always wanted to be a radio host. Well, here um, you are. So, so I, I, what I asked you, and I'll ask you again, how have you two been together? So we've been together for two and a half years. Yeah. And may I ask you, I hope this isn't too personal, how did you meet? It's been Great. It's been great, but how did you how did you we met, how did you stumble we how did you stumble have. upon each other? <laughs>
1: I was looking for a Reiki class oh, wow. in my local area, and so I googled that and discovered uh, Boyd's company, and went in to take a class from him, and that's where we first met.
3: Yeah. Wow. And what was it about him? What was it about him? Why why this guy?
1: That's what I wasn't sure about myself. <laughs> there was there was an it's immediate... My good looks and my
2: charm. Come on. Yes. Well of course, but I'm
1: going am I'm I'm going deeper than that, right? There was a connection there, a familiarity, a recognition instantly that I knew this person. It was a feeling of coming home. I guess would be the best way to describe it. That's a
3: very good way of describing it because that's exactly what I felt too. That's mm-hmm. what you felt, also. Yeah, of course. Of course, she was beautiful, and and also, you know, intelligent, and all those other things too, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for thanks yeah. for throwing that in. We were <laughs> <going I> just, <laughs> life, life <wrote. laughs> I knew, I knew that was true. I just knew that was true. Um, and so, as you went through this, did you have that experience that I was talking about, where you where it's a natural thing, you start to uh, you start to remember the past, other times. That you've depended on somebody? Did either of you have any kind of fears or uh, apprehension about what it would be like to once again depend on another person? Oh, absolutely.
1: Definitely.
3: Yeah, and that happens. And did you notice that as your relationship became much easier, did you, did you pay less attention? Were you less present at all?
1: We could tend in that direction, absolutely. Because yeah. t- that's
3: yeah. formal, that's, that's not just you, that's everybody. Yeah, especially I find we've
2: been getting very, very busy. Right. And the more we have on our plate, the less time we have for each other. And, and, yeah, I think that has a tendency to help us not be
3: present.
1: Yeah, we have to be <laughs> very aware of that to make that time.
3: Yeah, my wife and I are also wow. very busy all the time, but we work a lot together. But during the day, we don't. So we really do have to build in time. Otherwise... Uh, I, don't, I think we both start to feel lonely.
1: Yes, absolutely. You start to feel disconnected if you're not nurturing that. So at least in the evening, if nothing else, we get to read a book together. Yeah. <laughs> we work together all day as well. So we That's we nice. do our services and we teach and we do the show and we're together all day. But you're busy in what you're doing. So you, yes. know, you have moments where you can connect, but we, you're we, not
3: there all the time. What we want people to understand about secure functioning is that, and I, and it sounds like the two of you are doing wonderful, um, that your job, the two of you, is to take fears that, that drag people down every day, take them off the table, such as, will we exist tomorrow as a relationship? That is settled. It's not a matter. It's, it's never threatened, the relationship. That releases a ton of resources that people often don't realize are being taken up by this insecurity. And then being on each other's side, knowing each other, knowing how to minister to each other, um, getting a PhD in each other, um, th- this, this generates resources that allows individuals in a relationship such as yours to actually be much more creative, much more successful. Uh, and a lot of people don't they can think about this, but they don't know how to implement. They don't really understand that this is not a luxury, the things that you do, you two do together or that me and my wife do together. They're actually a necessity uh, in, in terms of survival, that we have to do these things by agreement, not because we feel like it, not because we're in love, but because the alternative is terrible.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
3: and it leaves us exposed to the elements, to the environment, and to people who do not care about our well-being. So... Uh, so that you know, that's the really the take-home message. I think that uh, people are going to have to readjust the reason why they're coupled. It has to be uh, that they serve something that's greater than themselves. They're doing things for each other because people, after all, are burdens. They take each other on as as burdens gladly, and that's the quid pro quo. Um, we do these things together because we can, and because if we don't do them, we're actually going to be in trouble.
2: For sure you can um, in a relationship I'm just kind of picturing this in my head here there's nothing uh, more rewarding than having your partner uh, do something for you out of their heart and and, yes. and just out of the blue and it it makes for me it makes me want to do and reciprocate and it it's just back and forth constantly uh, when, and when we start to um, I call it settle, and the mold is set. You kind of lose that sometimes.
3: Yeah. Well, and remembering that you guys are the engine that provides you the ability to do everything you're doing. Um, you, de- you definitely don't want to neglect that. Yeah, yeah for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, what about for some people who may think that, you know, one of these myths is what I'm going back to. Sure. That the best partner would be low maintenance. <laughs> is
3: there There's, any such yeah. thing? <laughs> no, there is there is no such thing as a low maintenance person up close. That low maintenance person that you see across the room is going to be high maintenance very soon, um, and if not now, then very, then eventually because no one can be low maintenance. Um, uh, people are difficult. People are annoying. People are irritating. People are a burden, and if and, and if. Uh, if we can just accept that and not accept uh, expect something that's in our head that is supposed to be easy all the time, perfect in, in any way, um, we're perfectly imperfect. And so uh, uh, it, 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 we're supposed to be high maintenance. As high maintenance as we need to be, both of us do that. It, it it equals out. When you start to worry about being a bother, being a burden, um, then you actually start to become one, and the other person is on notice that they better not uh, they better not lean very hard at all. So that's not the purpose of being together. The b- purpose of being together is to lean fully on each other, and this is the quid pro quo. This is how it all e- equals out, and all this comes from what we know about infant parent. A, uh, attachment in infant development. And you might say, well, we're not infants, but we are. And uh, we still carry infant needs throughout life. And uh, and hopefully, you don't have an experience that proves it to you, but it is there all the time. So, no, everyone's high maintenance. Um, people have affairs because they think the other person is low maintenance, but uh, but marry them and you'll find out. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So as you're as you're talking about this, and um, in your in your eyes or our eyes, you see flaws in your partner. Yeah, uh, some people have a tendency to want to fix that. what What is your view on that?
3: Well, the word flaw, uh, actually says it, because if I think it's a flaw, then there's a part of you that I don't accept. There's a part of you that I don't uh, that I think is uh, is defective, right? And that would not be the spirit of pair bonding. That would not be the spirit of a secure functioning relationship. Um, we're all flawed and we're all irritating. So, you know, uh, <laughs> if you think your partner is, uh, is a piece of work, um, don't forget you pick them and, you're, and you pick someone who's like you and you're as, uh, you're as difficult as they so <laughs> this, is, this is an illusion, right? Um, yeah, there's things that we don't like all the time. In fact, the very thing that I fall in love with in, in my wife is going to be the thing that bothers me the most. And that's because I like it, I love it, I need it, but I want to control the dosing of it, and I can't, right? I can't control when it appears or how strongly it appears. So, uh, so if people understand how people work, then I think, it's a matter of tolerance and understanding that you've got to take the person wholly. Nobody gets into a relationship to be changed, nobody. You get into a relationship like this to be home, to be yourself, and that isn't to say you throw your weight around and be unfair, but that you are yourself, you speak the truth, you're not hiding, you're not vetting everything you say, you're not walking on eggshells. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And again, if you do that, why be together? You might as well be alone, and spend those resources the same way in worrying about how you're going to be.
1: Hmm. What about for people who, so with dating, of course, young people are used to dating. What about for people who feel that they're getting older, and they find themselves alone, you know, maybe again, or, or maybe still, and are maybe scared or feel they're you know, past being able to jump into dating?
3: Yeah, the, it, it, I, can't, I can't say in a cheerful way that the dating world is is uh, a happy place to be. Um, uh, it, I don't know that it ever was, probably very different than it was today because people weren't as mobile, people were saddled into their tribes and so on, and, and finding somebody, or at least having an arranged marriage was easy. or <clears throat> But now, we're fully mobile and to keep up with our fully mobile and, and fast paced lives we have technology and a lot of this technology feeds into some of our addictions like swiping left swiping right you know being able to look at a whole bunch of people but never really pick, picking anybody um, so there are new challenges in this area of dating but what I want to say is that if, if you think of it as dating I think that probably is a trap if you think of it as um, as a, a social ritual of meeting new people. Of, of meeting new people and vetting them to see whether you want them in your social circle, then I think that process of meeting new people c- could be enjoyable regardless of who that person you're meeting is. In other words, if you are learning to enjoy people, if you are paying attention, if you become a Sherlock, you watch how they eat, you watch which hand they use. Um, are they left handed or right handed? Um, how asymmetrical is their face? Where do they part their hair? How do they move when they say this word? How do they move? In other words, you start to become. Um, someone who's deeply interested in people, then it doesn't matter whether this person is, you know, is your Rock Hudson or whatever. Um, you're engaged in a social uh, activity that is necessary for all people. We need people, whether they're friends or they're you know, whatever. So I think dating, the word again, may make people feel extra performance anxious, mm-hmm. um, as if it's something precious. But if we reframe this as being social, Learning how to meet people, learning how to learn about other people, paying attention, picking up details, scanning, all these things, and also working with your own body while you're doing this. It's not just about you. It's about paying attention to another person. It's about learning about that person. Um, we're not taught this. See, I don't think we're really taught how to do this. I don't think we're taught how to be in relationships, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, and along with that, we're not taught how to learn. These are things that are missing from our education. <laughs> so Absolutely. I, uh, yeah. You know, I think like the soulmate thing, um, the, the words that we use, the concepts we use are either limiting and exclusive or they're inclusive and actually enli- enli- enlivening and allow us to be more without the pressure. Hmm. Mm,
1: Yeah, no labels and and expectations.
3: Yeah, and of course, that'll never happen because we always label (laughs) expectations, but at least maybe we can make it easier. (laughs) Right, exactly.
1: Uh We're going to take this opportunity to go to another break. And just before we do, I want to uh, remind all of our listeners of what's coming up for classes and events at sundra healing here so this saturday september 24th we have the kids reiki level one that's for ages four and five and we also have learning to see and feel auras on that day and then october 1st is our usui reiki master teacher level we usually only do this once maybe twice a year and that is coming up on october 1st for those who want their masters We also have a Reiki share on October 1st, so don't miss that. If you're in our local area, come out and see us. And on October 15th and 16th, we have Karuna Level 1 practitioner and master's class. And that also happens maybe only once a year. So we will see you on the other side of two minutes.
0: The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Rebecca and Boyd have combined their years of experience to create a powerful and effective modality of healing. Each session is unique, tailored to your individual needs and can be done in person or from any distance. Are you searching for your purpose, soul path, soulmate, or healing for mind, body and spirit? Are you seeking relief from anxiety, depression, chronic illness, fatigue or codependency? Book a healing session or receive a free email consultation today. Visit the services page at SunderHealing.com. Rebecca and Boyd have combined their years of experience and their twin flame connection to create powerful, transformational journeys through their classes, workshops, special events, and retreats. Join Rebecca and Boyd on your journey to deepen your connection with spirit and access divine intelligence. This allows healing, creates miracles, and manifests a life of joy and abundance in alignment with your highest good. Visit the classes page of SunderHealing.com and register today. Meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America Seventh Wave Channel. Listening to Awakened Hearts. To call in and connect to Rebecca and Boyd Campbell on today's program, please call one 472 5795 Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to hello at
1: sundrahealing.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. We are speaking with Dr. Stan Tatkin today, and we are talking about how to build happy, secure, long-lasting relationships. Now, Stan, I have a question for
3: you. Okay.
1: Boyd and I, we've been together two and a half years, which we already know, and we haven't really decided if we would have children together. We've talked about it. And one of the concerns when we think about having children is how that will affect our connection to each other and how to work that in. And I think this is probably something that most couples deal with when they have
3: children. So what
1: advice there could you share with all of us?
3: It's a great question. Uh, I think, first of all, the couple has to be secure functioning, which like I said, is easily achievable. Um, And here's the idea. Your child is coming to your party, and by that I mean the party is in play. It, it is a good one. You guys are good caregivers of each other. You're, good, you're able to be good parents to each other. Um, you're good managers of each other, and, and you're, you are yourselves right? And then you say, wow, this is wonderful. Look how good we're doing here. Look how we can we can handle anything. Let's bring another person into this. Um, and that would be the first idea. Because believe it or not, there are a lot of people out there who never dreamed of partnership, but they only dreamed of having a child. And that is a problem. Uh, mm. That becomes a very big problem. So if you guys are a real couple, and you're really doing it well, then you bring another life in. And Then it's a matter of understanding that the the mother figure, in this case, Rebecca, I imagine it would be you, um, has a job, uh, a rather lengthy job, um, to bring that child psychologically into the world and that you will be preoccupied as you should. And that is resource demanding. So what is is Boyd's job in that? Um, Largely to make sure that you're well resourced so that you're available to the baby. A baby uh, available in a way that you have patience, Uh, tension. Right? You're able to read the baby, find the baby, and so on. That is a that's a couple activity. It's not exactly equal in the way that it will become, but it still is. If you think of it, that boy's job is to regulate the regulator, which is mother, who's dealing with the baby, regulating the baby. The father regulates the mother. in a, in a large way in the beginning. And then it shifts, it shifts, now it shifts away from you, and a lot of emphasis now becomes onto the secondary parent, which you will probably not like, but it will happen. And <laughs> and then it shifts back and forth throughout the childhood, throughout the adolescence, and so on. Um, the, pr- the problem is, is when, like I said, uh, partners are not in good shape to begin with, um, and then a third, per- a third person comes in and steals, um, Uh, the primacy away from the secondary partner and now there's envy and jealousy this is set up by the parents it's not the child's fault of course but they didn't plan they weren't tight they didn't know what their jobs were and uh and uh and so there you get into a big big problem
1: yeah absolutely i can see that yeah
3: uh, and, and so I, that's a generalized way of looking at it, but I think it, it's, a, it's a necessary condition uh, for all good things to happen when bringing another, another person into the world. It's like everything else you're going to do, it's another couple's task. Now there's, there's, now there's this challenge, but there's going to be more challenges coming down the line, ones that you can't even predict. Do you have the structure? Do you have the bones in the relationship built from the ground up that can handle any weather? Or uh, or are you ignoring those things? And now when there's sufficient pressure on you, the house collapses, right? Mm. So it's a matter, again, of being the best couple you can be before. Setting the foundations.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, so do you offer um, um, back sessions to
3: people? And if you do, can you just maybe elaborate a little bit on what is entailed in one? Well, I, uh, my practice is a big part of my life, even though I teach and I, tra- and I train therapists. Um, uh, we have the PACT Institute. Uh, both my wife and, my, uh, and myself uh, run this institute. We train therapists all over the world um, in this psychobiological approach. So people can find that at thepactinstitute.com. My practice, I still see people in, in, uh, in at home, uh, not at home, I'm sorry, in um, Agura Hills, near my home, and people can find me through stantatkin.com. But the practice is uh, is very active, experiential. Um, we use uh, something called video frame analysis, where we uh, the couple is actually videotaped along with me. And we're able to see uh, and help the couple appreciate these micro movements and micro expressions that are going on all the time in order to learn each other, in order to understand each other. And the principle behind this is that re- uh, real time is too fast. Um, hmm. We mostly don't know what we're doing or why. And when pressed, we make it up. And so in order to slow that process down so people can actually see what they're doing, that is either uh, signaling threat or signaling friendliness, um, uh, down to the micro-movements, uh, people then are actually able to handle the content areas that, that, uh, that uh, bother them. Money, time, mess, sex, and kids, right? <laughs> so, but it's never really... Uh, Those of us who are psychobiologists know it's never that. It's uh, the problems that people have um, is the way they do business with each other. And that business Mm. is automatic, reflexive, no angels, no devils. This is how we all work. They just don't know it. They can't see it. And so a lot of this is really educating people on the nature of being human. Nice.
1: Wonderful. So, everybody can find Dr. Tapkin then through those websites that he mentioned. Uh, they are also listed in his biography on our show page on Voice America. And so, we are at the end of the show. So, we want to thank you so much, uh, Stan, for being with us today. Yes, it was truly a pleasure. Thank you, thank, thank you, you both. thank
3: you. You're delightful.
1: and so are you and to our listeners out there you've been listening to Awakened Hearts please join us next week the same time, same place we will have Cynthia Sue Larson joining us and we will be talking about the Mandela Effect, Reality Shifts and Quantum Jumps don't miss it from our hearts to yours Namaste. Namaste
0: For tuning in this week to Awakened Hearts, please join your hosts, Rebecca and Boyd Campbell, again next Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Until our next show, have an enlightened week.